Good to be with you this morning. Um, we are in a series called Taking the Next Step, and um, that is looking through the life of Abraham. And so this morning we're going to be, as um, was just read for us, in chapter 15 of Genesis. We'll be looking at that chapter as we progress. So this morning, um, what I'd like to do is just kind of go through, because there's a lot. Actually, this passage I think would be a lot easier to preach on if we didn't have the New Testament um, because then it could just be its own thing. But there, this little chapter, these 21 verses, is so rich with the gospel that it's like every word you could probably just, like, sit on, you know, for five or ten minutes and just ponder and make the connections. I mean, the references to New Testament passages, um, or I should say, the New Testament passages that reference this chapter is is just a lot. It's, it's unreal um, how much this chapter here is, it becomes a foundation. And many say this chapter is the first presentation of the gospel in scriptures. And that's a pretty profound statement considering that Jesus, Jesus has not yet um, walked the earth. And so we're going to kind of walk through and uh, do our best to give it justice this morning, and um, also see how it makes sense for us um, individually, but also as a body of believers. So, if you would, uh, we're just going to kind of walk through. So, we start off with the first three words, and we're not going to get much farther than that, which is, after these things. So, what the author is doing here is he's making a direct connection to what just happened. And if you were here last week and recall, and if not, I'll let you I'll give you a quick summary, is that Abram went after and he pursued Lot, who had been captured when the kings had come down upon Sodom and raided them and taken Lot and his family and possessions off. And so Abram goes right to it, right? And he goes pursuing them. This war then breaks out, and um, they're battling the kings, Abram wins the battle. He gets all this resources and this plunder. And then we have the storyline of Melchizedek, right? He comes in. And it's Melchizedek, it's the king of Sodom, and it's Abram. And they're having this conversation. And um, king of Sodom's like, here, you know, have these possessions. You can take of the plunder. And Abram says, no, right? He says, no, I will just take what my men have already consumed and what is rightfully theirs, but the plunder is, is all yours, right? And Abram says this, so that I am not inappropriately connected to you, that I don't owe you anything, right? And so Abram's very specific, right? He's not aligning himself here. He's saying, no, it's yours. So he sacrifices in, in what could be justified as rightful plunder from these battles on behalf of that. Melchizedek comes in, and there's this awareness, right? There's awareness of who has the presence, who has the authority in that relationship. And Abram gives him 10% of his stuff. He says, here you go. And then they partake of bread and wine together. Again, right, gospel is being built here. We have bread and cup right here in the Old Testament. And so after these things happen, after this profound moment, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. 
fear not. That's interesting, right? Because the Lord has spoken to Abram before. And if you recall, there really isn't much about fearing before this. When he speaks, like in chapter 12, which we'll be referencing, um, if you remember, the Lord says to Abram, go, and I will make of you a great nation. But he doesn't say, fear not, go. He says, go. Here, the Lord comes to Abram and says, fear not. I don't know about you, but if I just got done with a war, right, my mind's probably in that mindset of, like, I'm a little, like, on edge, a little defensive, like probably exhausted, but prepared for any kind of revenge or, you know, um, retaliation that might come. So the Lord says, fear not. But the thing that's comforting is that the Lord never tells us to fear not without explaining himself. You ever notice that? Deuteronomy 31.6, these are just examples. Be strong and courageous, do not fear or be in dread of them. All right, so there's the do not fear. Well, why should we not fear? For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Or Jeremiah 42, 11, he says, Do not fear the king of Babylon, of whom you are afraid. Do not fear him, declares the Lord. So here, you know, Israel already been sent off, and here comes, this is kind of the last um, exile movement in Jeremiah that he's talking about. So King of Babylon, he is someone to be feared because he represents the complete destruction of Israel and annihilation. And the Lord says, do not fear. But he doesn't leave it at that. He goes on. He says, do not fear, for I am with you to save you and to deliver you from his hand. In Matthew one twenty. Joseph, son of David, this, the, Lord, uh, the angel coming to Joseph in the dream, he says, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. What do you mean, do not fear? Like, how can I not fear? Like, everybody thinks she got pregnant by another man. No, the Lord says, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And then in Luke eight fifty, But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, and talking about a, um, a healing of, this li- of the little girl who is sick. He says, do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. You can look at many, many more, right? There's plenty of do not fear that the Lord speaks in the, te- in the Old and New Testament. And every single one gives a reason for why you should not fear. You know, I think as, like, as parents, right, we often say, because I said so, right? It's like, why can't I do this? Because I said so. But the Lord, in his grace and his mercy, in communicating with his children, he gives us reason to not fear. Do not fear. And if you notice, it's because of some truth or something about himself that he brings to the situation, that he brings to the circumstance. And so here, in the midst of just having been in a war, and in the midst of just experiencing the king of Melchizedek and having this really powerful moment, the Lord comes and he says, Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. 
right? Coming out of war, this analogy makes a lot of sense, right? I am your shield. I will protect you. I will provide you with safety. Your war reward shall be very great. I think this is a, a great picture of Abram and the fact that he doesn't know what is the greater reward. He doesn't even know if he'll actually get anything physically or spiritually. But with his interaction with Melchizedek, he knew that there was something there that he had to walk out in obedience. And so he gives sacrificially. He gives that 10%. And so he, he gives. He doesn't accept the plunder. He doesn't accept the riches of the world. He says, there's something, no. I, I know where that leads me, right? That leads me kind of into this bondage, potentially with the king of Sodom. And I don't want that. So I'm not going to walk into that. I'm not going to receive that reward. But I'm going to stand here and I'm going to receive whatever comes, right? I'm going to trust God with whatever that reward would be. But there's no knowledge that Abram would even expect or know what reward would be. And here God says, I will be your reward. Now it's interesting, because if I heard that from God, I would probably be like, sweet, like, all right, good. Go home, you know, sit up, get comfortable and relax, because now I'm going to be protected, and now I'm going to, like, God's going to bless me. This is great. What else do I need? But Abram's really honest with God. And he's kind of like, you know, that's, that's great. <laughs> you know, thanks, God. I really appreciate that. <laughs> but there's this thing. You promised me I'd be a great nation, and I don't have a son. And so th- the next couple of verses, Abram and God have this discord, you know, where Abram's like, I want a son. Like, if you want to be my great exceedingly great reward where's my son you know and and i don't think this is like inappropriate conversation right like this is a this is a kind of a kid who's saying you know god you promised this to me and i'm not trying to call you out saying that you're a liar um but i am kind of saying that i'm i'm really challenged right now Because you're saying I'm going to get all this great stuff, and you know, you know the desire of my heart is to have a son. You know, and and there might be some confession of doubt for Abram here, of saying like, God, I'm struggling, you know, like I'm trying to hold on to your promise, but I'm like, I'm looking around me, I'm getting old, you know, my wife's getting old, and um, I'm not so sure how this is going to work, you know. And so there's this honesty and there's this confession that Abram comes. And, and God comes and he says, okay, let's talk about it. You know, God doesn't push him off. He doesn't say, no, I'm not dealing with this right now. I gave you that promise and you need to hold on to it. No, God actually shows up and he says, okay, I hear you. I know your heart, and I want to show you that I do stick to my word. And so, verse 7, or not quite 7, he goes, um, looking at 5, and he brought him outside, and he said, look toward heaven, and number the stars, 
if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And so there's this beautiful illustration, right? Some of the most experiential work that we, it's, it's what our experiences are in life that oftentimes validate promises and truths that we know. And experiences can validate lies and, and falsehoods too, but it's when we've actually believed something and then experience it, that it, it reignites that hope of something yet to come. And so here's this beautiful picture. I mean, it's a little bit harder to experience the glory of the, of the skies at night now because of all the light pollution. But if you've ever been out, you know, like you get to see the stars. I mean, there's thousands and billions and trillions of stars. And God's saying, yeah, like that. That's what's going to be from your line. The neat thing to just think about is, you know, in Revelation, Jesus is called the bright morning star, you know? And to think that as Abram was looking up, you know, that one of those in particular was Jesus, was his Savior, was going to come from his line. But again, right, this is just an illustration of what God has already promised to Abram to make him a great nation. But here's the difference. There's something about experiencing the illustration, something about seeing the sky, hearing the Lord, that Abram responds responds to. And he says, And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Right here is kind of a salvation moment for Abram. I really appreciate the text here too. And this was something that um, I learned myself as I was studying this. Is that the text says, and he, Abram, believed the Lord. It doesn't say, and Abram believed in the Lord. Now some texts might say in the Lord. But going back to that Hebrew word, what it really is, is, is believing the Lord. It's, it's believing what God said. It's not believing in God, right? In Scripture, we also say, well, even the demons believe in God, right? They believe that God exists. So we can believe in the existence of God. But that's not the same as believing God. And so for here, like salvation is not just like, oh, you know, when you're, you're evangelizing to someone, it's like, we want you to believe in God. Yes, we want you to believe that God exists. But that's actually a pretty simple thing in some ways to do. That, okay, can God exist? Sure, I can accept that. But believing God, believing that what the scriptures say God is who he is, believing that what we hear in our prayer time is God's voice and knowing that that will come to pass and be true, that is actually believing God, which signifies and puts emphasis on the fact that there's relationship with God and that we walk out relationship with God. And so here it says that, that Abram believed the Lord. So he's saying, yes, I agree. This will come to pass. I trust you. I believe you that you will do what you said. And the Lord said, 
I give this, like, I account to you righteousness. I declare you righteous. Which is exactly what we get declared when Christ's blood is shed on the cross. Now, in that act of sacrifice, we are declared righteous. When we believe that Jesus' blood cleanses us, then we get to receive that righteousness as well. And here, even before, um, even before the law is in place, even before um, the idea of works and, and being self-righteous is on the scene, Abram is declared as righteous. We'll see in chapter 17, there's the covenant of circumcision, which, if you recall, we've been building to the climax, and that is going to be chapter 17. Abram gets declared righteous, even before the climax of the story. He gets declared righteous, even before he is circumcised into covenantal relationship with God through an act or through um, abiding by the law. And he is declared righteous. And so that is the grace and the presence of Christ in this story. So Abram gets to experience God in this way. And he gets to say, I believe in you. The story goes on. um, And he said to him, verse 7, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But Abram, he's not convinced yet. Isn't that interesting? Because look what he says. He says, Oh Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? So even still, Abram's kind of like, this is all, I believe you, God. This will. But how? <laughs> right? Like, how is this going to happen? Again, I believe you. I know that you are God, and you will do as you say. But how do I know? Like, what can I kind of, like, be assured of here? And we still see just just this, like, this humility, this genuineness, maybe a little bit of doubt, but knowing that, like, he can come to the Lord with that doubt. Maybe a little bit of questioning, but knowing that he can come to the Lord with that questioning. And he says, yeah, so how do I know? Like, how can I be assured of this? And so the Lord instructs him. And he tells him to go get the, um, those three animals, cut them in half, and lay them out. This is a, a very typical covenantal process that would have taken place. Very serious. Because the cutting of the animals and the shedding of the blood was a, a significant act. And obviously livestock was um, property. It was possession. It was a symbol of wealth. So to take livestock and, and sacrifice them in this way, make this covenant, was a significant deal. And so Abram would have understood this. And this is, would not have been a, like a common thing, but a very sacred thing the Lord was asking him to do. And so he goes and he does that. The act of that covenant when, is that both parties end up walking through the, the animals. They walk through each half of the animal. And as the blood was pouring out, it's kind of saying, we agree to the terms, and they, agree, they, they speak the terms as they walk through. We agree to these terms, and we agree to them over shed blood, 
so that if we disobey them, we agree that our blood would be shed as payment for the breaking of these covenants. So it's a pretty big deal. This is kind of a life or death contract, you know. Um, thankfully, you know, now we just deal with money and, you know, people have to pay if they break a contract, not with our lives, a little bit better. Um, and so Abram's preparing for this. So there's also then this anticipation that God's going to show up because Abram's not walking through this thing alone. That's not how this act works. It works by them walking through together. And that's why we see, I think, here, this also, this uh, verse 11, it says, when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. Likely because Abram was waiting. If you notice, what the Lord says, Abram does. But you don't ever see Abram stepping out further than what the Lord has said. He stays in this posture of anticipating God's next move. He stays in this posture of waiting for the Lord to give the next direction. See, he may have already known what to do, but God told him to prepare the animals, and that's what he did. But he then waits, and he waits for God to speak. And what God does is he brings down then this darkness. And the passage is great here because it says that he had a, a dreadful darkness came over him. And I was like, a dreadful darkness? I'm like, you are about to enter into a covenant with the Lord. What is dreadful about that? And yet the text says, a dreadful darkness. Because what the Lord's about to tell him is not good news. The Lord's about to say, I know I gave you this great promise. But this great promise also comes with great pain. Your descendants are going to be enslaved. And they're going to suffer for 400 years under the hands of Egypt. But, even in the midst of that, I will still be true to my word. And your descendants will come out of that, uh, that enslavement wealthier and they will come back and I will use them to punish the Amorites whose iniquity is still growing and their sin is becoming detestable to me and I will use your descendants to bring judgment upon them and I will bless you and your descendants and they will inherit the land. And the Lord reveals this whole picture, not just for Abram, really, but I think also for the Hebrews who later find themselves enslaved, that there's something in the midst of that pain, there's something in the midst of the despair and hopelessness of being a slave and being tirelessly worked that they can hold on to, that God is still present. God doesn't remove that, right? This has, Egypt hasn't even happened yet. But God is saying, this is, this is going to be a part of your story. Suffering and pain are a part of our story. But there's a promise that God gives. And we can choose to hear and believe. Or we could just believe in. And know that God is good. 
or we can believe God and say, even in my sorrow, even in my suffering, I'm going to hold to God and his word. And just like Abram gets this covenant as a validation, as proof that God will, we have Jesus Christ on the cross. He is the covenant that God made with us. And because Christ died on that cross, we have hope. No matter what suffering, no matter what sorrow, no matter what pain we experience, there is that solid hope it was done. And we can walk in that blood that was shed for us. The most beautiful thing, I think, apart about this story is that God comes and he shows up and Abram, while he's still in this kind of like sleep stupor, God walks through. And God says that um, there is nothing that you owe me in this. God says that this is not on account of who you are whether you're the worst person in the world or the best person in the world, it doesn't matter. I'm doing this because this is who I am. And God looks at Abram and he goes through and he makes the covenant that I will fulfill this promise because I am a God who fulfills promises. And it is not based on whether you believe forever or you walk it out and In fact, chapter 16, when we get to next week, we'll see how bad Abram is (laughs) at believing and walking it out. But in that moment, God's like, it doesn't matter. I will fulfill what I have spoken. And here, I have covenanted with you. And if I don't, then it's my blood that will be shed. And you know what? It is God's blood that was shed when Jesus was on that cross. He still sacrificed himself on account of who we are. And who we are, we are his children. We are his created. And he loves that about us. And he created us for his pleasure and for his goodness. And so he doesn't expect anything of us but relationship. Just be. Be who you are. Be who I've created you to be. Be who I have spoken who you, into your life. Be what I've been whispering to you from day one about the gifts I have given you, about the calling I have upon your life. Be that, because that brings me joy. That brings me pleasure. That brings me fulfillment in that I have created you for something. think as a culture we struggle a lot with expectation and we base relationship a lot on expectation and we can quickly be hurt and offended in relationship when someone doesn't uphold their end of the deal I don't know that that will ever be a challenge we don't got to consistently work on but we have it modeled for us that God does not treat us that way. 
We have it here in a covenant to Abraham. And we're descendants of Abraham. And so that promise comes to us too. God doesn't have expectation of us. He just wants us to enjoy his presence and walk in obedience because that's how we enjoy his presence. So I want you to take a second and I just want you to think for a minute about a time in your life that you have felt the Lord make a promise to you. Or maybe it's a scripture that you hold on to in moments of pain or moments of suffering, moments of fear in your life. That's a promise that God has given to you. Just take a moment and and think about that. For Christine and I, it was in 2013. And we have felt that the Lord had said to me to um, begin to open my own private counseling practice. And we felt the Lord leading, felt the Lord say, you know, there are Christian counselors in the region, but there isn't like a Christian counseling practice in Pottstown. And Pottstown needs healing that comes from the power of, the, of Jesus Christ so that lives can be transformed. At the time, uh, you know, I was working for Onward Behavioral Health, and we said, okay, we're going to do this. I had like four or five private clients that I would see at churches in the area. And um, so we took that step of faith. So I think I was like a day or two here on staff at the church, had my private practice. We had two kids. Lily was uh, like three or four. It was, Lily was only a couple months old. Um, and Christina worked eight hours a week as a church secretary. Very clear that we were not going to make ends meet financially if we did this. You know, we had some savings and prepared a little bit, but you know, things were going to have to go quickly if we were going to make it. And all the scriptures about God providing, right? All the scriptures about God loving his children, and so he doesn't let them get lost, but he provides. You know, if he provides for the birds of the fields and the, uh, the birds and the lilies of the fields, then like, does he not provide more for his, his children? You know, if, if a child asks um, for a loaf of bread, does a father give him a stone? All those passages, right, come We're like, okay, God, this is what you say. Prove it. It was tough, you know? Like, Christina still remembers, like, not really having much food in the cabinets, and I am out till 9 o'clock with clients, and I come home, and I hand her the cash that I just made so she can go and get groceries so that we can eat. And yet, even in those moments where you're just like, we have so little, (laughs) you know, we were so blessed Because people gave us resources. People provided services. Money showed up in our mailbox. Every single month, somebody sent us giant gift cards 
and it was just a blessing. And we could see that we didn't do anything, but we stepped out in faith, and God showed up, and he provided. In 2015, we had a very similar thing happen again, where I was on staff here. I felt God say, okay, it's time to step off staff and go full-time with your practice. Like, okay, here we go. The months that I did that, I don't know that we received as much money from people who wanted to support and bless us than ever in our lives. I, like, thousands of dollars just came pouring in. And we met our bills. Not once did we struggle. And that's not like, oh, look what God gave us. No, that is look at who he is. He is a God who sticks by his promises. He is a God who when he says he's going to do something, he does it. And we might not know when, and we might not know how, but we know that it's God's character that he does what he says he's going to do. God has spoken to Parker Ford Church in this way. Just in the way that you might have been able to recall experiences in your life where you have been in relationship with God and you've, he's proven his character to you. God also does that with churches. He also does that with groups of people who are seeking him. He does it for the body of Christ. And God has shown up here at Parker Ford many times, many times. Just take a minute, and if you can think of a time where you saw God show up, I want you to just share that. I invite you to like actively participate. And I know we're going long here. I apologize, but I want to give God glory for what he's doing. So what is it that we have witnessed God prove to us as a congregation about his character? Yeah, that's all right. <laughs> you need this because I have a loud voice. Um, but um, a year and a half ago, um, my husband um, felt like we were supposed to be moving to Pennsylvania from New Jersey. Um, actually, is it longer than that? But anyway, um, uh, he got a contract on his building in, in New Jersey, um, his business building, um, last August. Um, and it's taken um, a long, long time. He got a bid on it the February before. It took him six months to get the contract in order because of everything. And we've just seen God just doing things. And we'll, we'll move forward. We moved out of our house. We sold um, we, my mother-in-law and my, our kids and all. Um, moved out of our house on uh, June 28th. And we've been kind of homeless, and God's been providing different places for us to stay. And it's just, it's been incredible. So three weeks ago, we finally found a house. Or is it three weeks? 
two and a half weeks ago because we're like, Lord, um, we're coming down to the wire. Our kids have to start school and we don't know where we're going or anything. And Owen J. Roberts, when my f husband, God gave him a property in Limerick in March and which was everything that he had prayed for. And um, my husband one night woke me up at three in the morning and said, God wants to know what we want in a house. I was like, excuse me, <laughs> right now? Sleeping. <laughs> so we wrote, we wrote everything down of what we wanted in a house. If anybody wants, I can email you. I wrote a whole um, email to all of our prayer partners with us about what God, God did. But um, So we, um, we signed on our house t two and Wednesdays ago. And uh, last Saturday, not this one, we went, came out and met the owner of our house. Um, she's moving back to Kentucky, but she's trying to get to Seattle, but God's doing that. I'll make it short, sorry. <laughs> but anyway, so um, we, um, we started registering for our schools, and, and last week um, we spoke of our need for, um, for a um, place to live, and we were going to live in, the, in a extended care. So anyway... <laughs> These are our, our, our uh, people that have offered us uh, their home, and we're um, living in, in the mother-in-law apartment. And then my husband needed some place for his employees to stay, and they have a place for his employees to stay too. I'm just, and I got the kids registered on, on uh, Friday. So I just look at all of the things God put in step and all of the ways that he's answered, you know, in our house and everything. So anyway, it's just exciting. Yeah. Amen, amen. Yes, praise God, right? Right, that we don't know how, but God has taken care of you guys every step of the way. Amen, amen. What else? What have we seen at Parker Ford Church? What have you experienced that God has proven himself? <laughs> it's hard, right? Right, yeah. Either, yeah, I mean, it's just a testimony of God, so. We came to uh, Parker Ford in July of 2012, and uh, so I had a full-time job at Calvary Fellowship Church down in Downingtown, and we decided to go full-time with photography and start going to church locally to where we lived, so that's why we came to Parker Ford. Um, but it's kind of a story of how God provides even though we didn't know that he needed to provide. We thought the business was doing well enough to go full-time. Um, but we looked at those numbers in the summer when the business was doing well, not thinking, oh, nobody has weddings in the winter. So um, we went full-time in July of 2012. And then going into that winter, we're like, oh, man, we have no money. Um, you know, how are we going to get through the winter? Well, God provided a part-time job at QVC as a guest host. Um, just out of the blue, we were like, hey, you want to be on QVC selling a Bible product as a guest host? I was like, yeah, sure. Um, so God, through that winter, I had that job through the winter, and we made the same exact amount of money that we had as a deficit with the business. Um, otherwise, the business wouldn't have uh, we wouldn't have made it through that first winter. So we didn't know that God needed to provide, but he did anyway. Mm -hmm. And then we like looked back and we're like, 
oh, we were $20,000 short, and this part-time job out of the blue provided $20,000. And uh, then we were able to make it through to that spring and then plan for the following winter. But uh, it was just an amazing way of he provided, even though we didn't know that we needed him to provide. So not only when we ask, but when we don't ask, God is still there with us. That's awesome. You can hold on that. Um, so we all have probably testimonies in our life. I mean, just raise your hand if you've experienced healing from cancer in this room. Yeah, right? God has healed, right? So, and, and God probably at some point put it in your heart that you sensed at some point God would heal you, right? And, and that you believed. And because you believe what God said, he was true. Parker Ford Church has believed as a congregation too. What was it, eight, nine years ago that um, Pastor Bob stepped down and you believed that as a small congregation, you would support and bring on two full-time pastors when you had one part-time pastor, right? You believed that when you were in Parker Ford Church over on Bethel Church Road, right, um, that you would raise the funds to build this building and that this building would be a place where God is honored and God is worshiped. And look, we have a congregation here who loves God and wants to worship him because God gave the word to the Elliots and they walked out in faith and obedience and it came to pass. And this is what is our thing. Right now, we're looking at, um, in three weeks, seeking to hear the voice of God about a pastor seeking to hear the voice of God about what is he saying to Parker Ford. And it is not our job to worry about how or where or what. It is our job to be who we are. And we have said we are two things. We have said we are a people following Christ. A people following Christ. That means that our identity is rooted in who Christ is. And if our identity is rooted in who Christ is, then we follow Christ. When he says build a church, we build a church. When he says call these two pastors, we call those two pastors. Because it's not about us and what we have to give to make it happen. It's about God and what he says and who he is and how we're going to listen. It's about our relationship with him. And if God says he's going to provide, he's going to provide. Because he can't do anything else Otherwise, it null and voids that he's God, and he can't do that. The other thing we said is that we're a firefly army, which means that we don't just come here to take care of ourselves. We come here so that we can experience God, we can experience relationships with other Christians and be encouraged, but that we can go out that we are little lights that go out and we share the light of Christ with those around us. Abram didn't get to stay in his hometown. He got sent out. God said, go. He said, okay. And Parker Ford Church has a history of listening to God when God says, this person I have called for this ministry. And Parker Ford has raised up pastor after pastor. It has raised up missionary after missionary. It is in our DNA that God calls Parker Ford to see the calling in people and to name it and to bless them out. That is a part of who we are. Let's walk in that, right? But it's a part of who we are because 
not because we're good at doing this. We're not good at doing this. It's part of who we are because it's who God is. And it's what he said. God, we just thank you for this morning. We thank you for your testimonies of your provision and of your character being true in who you are. And so God, just as we end, we just lay whatever fears, whatever, like, whatever's like getting in the way of us trusting you right now. And we say, God, we are servants of the living God. And we believe. We don't just believe in you, but we believe you. So Father, speak to our hearts, speak to our minds, that me, that we may take steps of faith and walk in obedience to who you are. In your name, amen. Thank you. Go in peace.